1: This morning I'd like to go back to the book of Nehemiah. We'll begin in Nehemiah chapter 1. Last week he gave you a introduction, an introduction and overview of the book of Nehemiah, so today we would like to begin looking at this book from Nehemiah chapter 1, and we'll hopefully, Lord willing, consider the first chapter this morning. Nehemiah chapter 1, begin reading in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we Have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest, thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest, thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out under the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. Verse 1, the words of Nehemiah. So, This account, this historical account of Nehemiah is actually written from a first-hand perspective. The Holy Spirit guided Nehemiah to give his account from a first-hand perspective. Many times these are written from an an external third party. And Nehemiah is moved by the Spirit to pin down the accounts of this great rebuilding and this great revival. So this is in the uh, 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. And notice he highlights here that this news comes to him, this news of Jerusalem's walls being broken down and gates burned with fire. It comes to him in the month Chislu, and that's the ninth month. I want to make sure as we kind of set the stage for this that we have a, a big picture timeline of what's happening in this book okay so he gets a notification of this he is told by his brethren that the uh, people in jerusalem are in great affliction and the walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire and he receives that that message in the ninth month the ninth month and then we find in chapter two and in verse one that it is in the Month Nisan, which is the first month, okay, that he delivers the petition to the king, okay? Now, to give you a little bit of frame of reference, the Jewish months are not the uh, calendar months that that we have from the 1st to the 31st. Jewish months are primarily based on the lunar cycles. So, roughly, this is just a ballpark, so just to uh, give you a frame of reference, The ninth month would kind of be in our November to December time frame, okay? The first month, you should know that month, Nisan, that is the observance of the Passover, and obviously we know that that is when Jesus was crucified, right? So that corresponds to the March and April time frame, okay? You should know that month pretty well. And then we fast forward all the way to the completion of the rebuilding of the wall, and that was in the sixth month. Now, it took 52 days to rebuild the wall, right? 52 days. So, just back up about uh, two months roughly. He arrived in Jerusalem in the fourth month. Okay, so I want you to think about this a lot happens in a year. Right. <laughs> a lot happens in a year. This this happened in about a nine month period, uh, at least this portion of it did. There's other portions later in the book that deal with a later time period. But from he is from when he is notified of the the walls being broken down and the people being in great affliction to the time that uh, the walls were completed is about a nine month period. And then during that nine months, it's amazing how the Lord allocated those nine months. <laughs> He spends four months praying, okay? He spends four months praying from the ninth month to the first month. He spends spends four months praying. He spends three months traveling from Shushan the palace back to Jerusalem. And then it only takes them two months to rebuild the wall. So think about that. He spent four months praying and it took them half as long, two months, less than two months, to rebuild the wall as he spent dedicated in prayer and it took him three months to even get there and it only took him less than two months to rebuild the wall, right? How about that? That the Lord, uh, the Lord guided him to invest double the time in prayer that when the Lord opened the door in a mighty way, it took half the time he's been in prayer to even finish this, this impossible effort in the rebuilding of the wall. So all of this time period happens within about nine months. And... <clears throat> He is uh, notified by his brethren. Uh, he's working in Shushan the Palace, Shushan the Palace, and you, you probably have heard of Shushan the Palace probably more prominently from the Book of Esther, and the Book of Esther happened uh, about 40 years before this time period, but if you remember, it was in Shushan the Palace where the king was having this big riotous party, and then he, he requested Vashti to... Uh, performed for the men and she rejected that and then he deposed her for the king and then he as the queen and then and then uh, Esther was elevated to the king right but that was in Shushan the palace Shushan was the winter palace you've probably heard of like these European kings that they normally uh, rule in the capital but then in the winter they go to a place that's a little bit a little bit warmer right so Shushan was the winter palace of the Persian kings and this is where Nehemiah is serving as the lord as the king's cupbearer so his uh, some of his kinfolks arrive back home and they notify him and they tell him of the people of israel being in great affliction and reproach now when the lord moves him to go back you see all of the obstacles and all the vitriol that comes from their enemies, primarily Sambalat and Tobiah, and no doubt that they had that same vitriol and hatred for God's people at this time, too. So those prominent leaders in that area had the ability to afflict and persecute and to bring into reproach God's people, and obviously that is weighing very heavily on their heart, but, but the the arguably the greater issue is their lack of ability to protect themselves at least in a military sense that the wall of Jerusalem was broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. <clears throat> now we talked about the captivities and we talked about the exiles and um, I would say that there's a good chance that Nehemiah prior to him returning to lead the effort to rebuild the wall, to galvanize the people to rebuild the wall, that he had probably never been to Jerusalem. Okay? So think about this. Israel's in captivity. You have a couple different returns. And 13 years beforehand was when Ezra led the second return. And it's actually the same king. It's the same king Artaxerxes that gives Ezra approval. But Nehemiah is still here in Persia, obviously. So Nehemiah did not go back 13 years earlier. Now, uh, did he just simply defer and not go? He may have been the king's cupbearer then, and he was not allowed to go. But Nehemiah did not return 13 years earlier when Ezra Led a return. So Nehemiah has most likely spent his entire life in Babylonian slash Persian captivity, primarily Persian. So he spent his whole life in captivity and he's most likely never even seen Jerusalem in person. But his heart is still burdened for Jerusalem. Why? Because he knows that's his homeland, right? He knows that's the land of his fathers and the land of his kindred. So he's never been there before, which I think makes this even more commendable, that he is burdened by the Lord to to galvanize and to stoke and to lead this this rebuilding of the people, this uh, great work that the people accomplish, that the Lord blesses the people to accomplish. But he lays this burden upon him, and he's never actually physically been to Jerusalem, But when he receives this report, he receives this report from his brethren that are visiting him and giving him this report, he is so <clears throat> burdened and overwhelmed with this that he immediately begins to weep and to mourn and to fast and to pray. And he continues in this diligent fasting and prayer for four months leading up to the Lord opening up this amazing door in the first month for him to give the opportunity to present his request before the king. Right? And I want us to look at the prayer of Nehemiah today. The prayer of Nehemiah that is, first of all, a prayer of confession, a prayer of repentance of a prayer of begging for mercy but also reminding God of his covenant and his faithfulness and his and his word okay and I want to read this this prayer for you again we've already read it but I want to read it for you again <clears throat> as we go through this so verse 4 and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the god of heaven and i said i beseech thee you know nehemiah this prayer of nehemiah is one of the most powerful prayers in all of the bible and it's closely associated i hope we have time to go to the prayer of daniel in daniel chapter 9 and daniel at that time I'm sure you know that Daniel was in Babylonian captivity, and he never actually returned from Babylonian captivity, but he's in the midst of Babylonian captivity before the Lord even sends the first of these returns. And he is confessing the the sins of the nation of Israel as a whole, but he is confessing the sins, and he's taking those sins upon himself, and he's confessing individual responsibility even though the reason, the reason they were in captivity was not because of his personal sin, okay? But he says not, it's these guys' fault. It's, and it was. It was. Like, literally, it was the previous generation of the whole reason that Daniel's in Babylonian captivity. Daniel's in one of, those, one of those men that there's nothing in Scripture. And I think Nehemiah fits that bill, too. There's nothing in Scripture that's spoken negatively about him at all. But what they don't say is, man, our dirty, rotten, great, 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 great granddaddies. Man, they messed it up. They did mess it up. They were the reason that they were in captivity. But he didn't say this is their fault. No, he said we have sinned. I have sinned. And we have to get to that point where we have to acknowledge we're in this together. The whole body of Christ. The whole church, we're in this together, and we can't say it's your fault, it's your, no, we have sinned, I have sinned, and the reason we are where we're at is because we have sinned, okay, he says, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments, let Thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants to confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If if we trans, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now. These are thy servants and thy people, who thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, the first thing he does here in, in verse 5, O oh Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his command. First of all, he begins prayer, as we should always begin prayer, in exaltation, in in hallowing. That's, that's how the model prayer begins. Oh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're exalting the name of God. When it says terrible here, that's not saying... Um, bad, uh, terrible, has a very negative connotation in, in American English, but that word simply means awesome. It means amazing. You, you are exalted. You are glorious. You are great and terrible. And the whole reason that what, what Nehemiah is confessing here is that God, you are perfectly righteous to have brought the judgment upon your people that you told us beforehand that you would bring if we were disobedient I mean God for better or for worse and when I say worse it's not worse it's just sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of our mistakes for better or for worse God is a God of his word amen when God tells you something when God tells you something he means what he says he means what he says And the Lord had laid everything out before the people of Israel as soon as they got out of Egyptian captivity. I mean, you won't talk about telling it like it is. But let's go ahead and back up here. Let's go ahead and just look at these verses that Nehemiah is referring to. He knew the word of God. And he's saying, Lord, you are not unrighteous. You haven't been unfair to us. You know, some people would look at at, uh, them receiving the chastisement of the lord in their life they're having to face the consequences of their bad decisions and they and they try to blame the lord for that don't blame the lord for being a faithful father of chastising his children say first of all say thank you lord for loving me right thank you for loving me enough to chastise me but the lord told as soon as they got out of egyptian uh bondage the Lord went up on Mount Sinai with Moses, and he gave him the Ten Commandments, and he gave him a whole lot of other commandments. And then when he came down, they made a covenant. And he said, if you are obedient, I'm going to bless you in ways that you can't fathom. I mean, you can't even handle the blessings I'm going to dump on your head. And that's what happened all the way up to Solomon. And if you look at the history, and you know, they, they had issues in the time of the judges, no doubt. But during the time of the kingdom, okay, and they had issues with Saul. David was blessed. He made mistakes. But, but during the time of Solomon, boy, you want to talk about the pinnacle of the kingdom. He had all this wisdom and the Queen of Sheba and everybody else was coming to him. And they had riches. They were probably the richest nation on the face of the earth. The Lord, and he gave them peace on every side too. David, he had a war, but Solomon had peace on every side. And for a period of time during Solomon's reign, when he was fully serving the Lord, and he was using that wisdom to, to honor and glorify the Lord instead of using it to uh, pursue all the things of the world. The pinnacle of Israel during the time of Solomon was blessed beyond anything that they could fathom. I mean, there's no telling how many in today's value, maybe billions, at a minimum, hundreds of millions of dollars that that temple was worth of all the gold and the silver, the riches. I mean, they made, they made, stuff, they made gold and silver look like gravel. That's how prosperous they were. And, and God says, look, if you're obedient to me, I'm going to bless you in a way that you can't even fathom. But if you're disobedient to me, I will drop the hammer. <laughs> I mean, I will chastise you and I will not let up until you repent. And he, and he tells them this. This is to the first generation. He reiterates this in Deuteronomy 28 to the next generation. Uh, this generation, as you well know, this generation heard this, and they said, uh, yes, we, we are willing to be held to this covenant. If you're obedient, you're going to be blessed beyond measure. If you're disobedient, you're going to be chastised. And they listened to the bad report of those 10 out of the 12 spies. They chose to rebel. And what happened to that generation? They died in the wilderness, right? So this is to the first generation. And just to give you a little bit of a highlight of these blessings that he promised them. This is Leviticus chapter 26. He said, look, if you look, this is verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and you keep my commandments and do them, I will give you rain in due season. And the land is going to yield her increase uh, verse 6, I will give you peace in the land, and you will lie down, and and none shall make you afraid. You're not going to be afraid of your enemies at all. And I will ch- Verse 7, I will chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you with the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. That doesn't work in a military sense, but it doesn't matter if the Lord's fighting on your behalf. So you will never, as long as you're obedient, you will never lose a military, as long as you do it my way, (laughs) you will never lose a military battle. Look at at the conquest of Canaan. They did it uh, God's way in Jericho. One man, you want to tell you how important your personal discipleship is? One man, Achan, disobeyed the commandment of God and he took of the covetous thing and the whole nation got sacked at Ai because of the covetous of one man. And you know what? They had to take care of Achan. As soon as they took care of Achan, they conquered Ai, right? But, if you're obedient, there ain't nobody that can stand in your way. If you're disobedient, it doesn't matter how little that town is, just like Ai, you can't even beat them. Okay? Now, we'll come back to the walls in a minute with Deuteronomy. They put too much... Con- now, in natural fortification, you need a wall. Okay, In natural fortification, you need a wall and you need gates. But you need to understand the strength of that wall is not the rock of the wall. (laughs) The reason why you're protected is not the rock in the wall. No, it's God that's protecting you. And there came a time where they put too much confidence in the stone of that wall. And he said, okay, you think that you're protected by this wall? (laughs) Let me tell you, I'm going to allow this wall to be totally ransacked. We'll get to that in Deuteronomy 28. I will walk verse 12. I will walk among you and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. All these blessings you can't even handle the blessings that I'm going to give you if you're just simply obedient. I tell you, the Lord is such a simple, loving Father. If you're obedient, if you be, He summarized this in uh, in Isaiah chapter one, right? If you be willing and obedient, you're going to eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. I mean, the Lord is a a God of his word. And then he says in verse 14, But if ye will not hearken unto me, and ye will not do all these commandments, if ye despise my statutes, and if your soul abhor my judgments. Now, he goes in great detail of this judgment that he would bring upon them for their disobedience. And boy, he gave them every opportunity to repent didn't he every opportunity he would send them a good king and they'd be they'd be obedient in the midst of that good king at least the nation of judah would and then when the bad king came he always sent prophets to tell them to repent thus saith the lord repent and you know what eventually they just stopped their ears up they said we're not going to repent and the lord said okay if you won't repent and by the way if you refuse to give my land its rest for 70 years you know what i'm going to do I'm going to give my land its rest, and I've got to get you off of it to give my land its rest. You know, the Lord is not unfair, is he? He's not unfair. They, they we'll talk about reaping what you've sown. They disobeyed the commandment of God, and they forsook 70 Sabbath years. For 490 years, they ignored the command of God to give the land its rest. You want to know what the Lord did? He didn't punish them by saying, you're going to spend... 200 years in captivity he didn't say you're going to spend uh, indefinitely in captivity you want to know how long he put them in captivity for the exact time period that they were disobedient every offense you want to know what he made them do he made them bear the consequences of his word now if you read the rest of Leviticus right here God explains to them exactly what's going to end up happening you're going to fall into idolatry you're going to forsake me. You're going to disobey. And not only am I going to send judgment on you, but I'm going to destroy this city. This city that you have exalted, I'm going to destroy this city. Verse 31, I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation. I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies, which dwell therein, shall be astonished at it. And there is there is not enough time for us to describe to you, and it's really better for you to study on your own instead of me mentioning publicly, about the horrible degradation that happened in the destruction of Jerusalem, especially in, first of all, 586 B.C., and then later on in 70 A.D. when they rejected not just the command of God, but finally they rejected the Messiah. Okay? And God tells them beforehand exactly what's going to happen in the destruction of Jerusalem. Exactly. So Nehemiah has read the word of God, and he says, Lord, you're not unfair. You told us. What you were going to (laughs) do. You told us that if we're disobedient, you're going to send We shouldn't be. If we were obedient to you, there is no nation that could ever have conquered Jerusalem. Ever. Ever. And it's not because of how uh, architecturally sound our wall was. (laughs) It's because uh, that you would fight on our behalf. But you know what? If we're disobedient, it doesn't matter how small the nation is, they're going to conquer us. Now, before we get to the promise of restoration, keep your finger there in Leviticus 26. I want to fast forward to Deuteronomy 28, okay? And he specifically highlights the walls right here. Now, again, this is to the next generation. That generation that received the, the covenant in Leviticus, they disobeyed God. They died in the, in the uh, wilderness, But now there's a new generation that's about to press into the kingdom and then into the land of Canaan. And he says, I'm going to tell I'm going to make with you the same covenant I made with your fathers. If you'd be willing and obedient, you're going to eat the good of the land. You're going to be blessed beyond what you can handle. But if you're disobedient, I'm going to chastise you. And I want you to notice he gives here in Deuteronomy 28 very in-depth descriptions of the just horrible suffering that happened, the physical suffering, that happened in the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. It's so sobering to say that God told, told you exactly what was going to happen beforehand, and that's exactly how history played out. But I want you to specifically notice here in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 52, He shall besiege thee in all thy gates... God has removed his providential hedge of protection and he is suffering Nebuchadnezzar to go and to destroy them because of their disobedience. And notice this, he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fenced walls come down, notice this, wherein thou trustest throughout all the land, he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. You see, there came a time where even if they were unwilling to admit this, I think Solomon kind of reached the point that, ba- that, that Nebuchadnezzar did in Babylon. He said, oh, look at great Jerusalem that my hands have built, right? That, that's always the peril of prosperity, isn't it? They had so much riches. They had so much convenience. Convenience always breeds complacency and lazy, and laziness. And then Solomon stood up and then... He, he said, wow, look at everything I've built. And then that's when Satan had him. <laughs> and then we know the, the rest of, of how Solomon was deceived by strange women, and then by the end of his life, he's Right, in Ecclesiastes, all is vanity and vexation of spirit, you know, everything under the sun, that life ain't worth living. Yeah, because you're living down in, in sin and indulging in all the things. You're living in chastisement and the judgment of the Lord. Of course, you're, you're miserable doing that, right? Because you're doing the opposite of what God has commanded you to do. But I think there came a time where those Jerusalem uh, people of Jerusalem said, look at this mighty wall that we've built. There ain't nobody that can conquer this wall. Man, look how good this wall is, right? You don't know if they forgot to, from the other perspective, you want to know the story they forgot? The walls of Jericho, right? (laughs) Those people on the walls of Jericho, they said, there ain't no way anybody's going to break down this wall. And you want to know how the Lord broke broke down the wall? By just trumpets and people yelling with a shout, right? That's how the Lord broke down that wall. So they looked at that wall and they said, there ain't nobody that ever get past this wall. And the whole time they were engaging in idolatry and the Lord removed his providential hedge of protection. And that wall doesn't mean anything if the Lord's not fighting on their behalf. So Nehemiah knows this. And he says, Lord, you told us everything (laughs) before it happened. You know? You're a faithful father. You told us these are the consequences for disobedience, and I can't blame you for chastising us in the exact way that you said you were going to chastise us. But also... Dear Heavenly Father, also loving Abba Father, also do not forget the rest of the covenant that you made. And the rest of the covenant, back in Leviticus chapter 26, is in verse 40. If they shall confess their iniquities and the iniquity of their father with their trespasses, which they have walked contrary to me. That I also have walked contrary unto them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. And if their uncircumcised <clears throat> uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they accept the punishment of their iniquity. Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land and the land also shall be left of them and shall enjoy her Sabbath. If you're not going to give my land her Sabbath, I'm going to give it, uh, give my land her Sabbath and I got to get you off of it so the land can have her rest for 70 years. While she lieth desolate without them, they shall accept of the punishment of their iniquity, because even because they despise my judgments, and because that my soul abhor and because their soul abhorred my stat So I want you to notice that language there. I mean, you know, ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? But it was not just ignorance. They cho- they knew exactly what the right thing to do was, and they chose to rebel and go go the opposite way. It wasn't ignorance. They chose to rebel. What he says here in the rest of the chapter is that if you confess and I'm so thankful boy, it's, some of the Old Testament, boy, it's heavy isn't it? It's hard because the theme many times is judgment but the Lord every time he promises judgment, every time he always promises restoration, always and aren't you glad that he, he's always good to do that, right? to tell us if you are disobedient, I'm going to lovingly chastise you. But if you, if you repent, I will always bring restoration. He always promises that. So Nehemiah knows that. He knows that God this whole time, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's uncomfortable to me and to my people, God has been faithful to his word all along. He told us exactly what he expected of us, and he held us accountable to the covenant we make. God holds you accountable to your covenants, right? Marriage covenant and other covenants you make in in a legal, sense. God expects you to be faithful to your covenants. And arguably the greatest covenant that you make is when you covenant, when you submit yourself to believers baptism and we don't necessarily we kind of rewrote one or or made an attempt at rewriting one a couple years ago we don't necessarily have an official church covenant here at macedonia The, the bible is our church covenant but when you present yourself for believers baptism member of the church you are making a covenant and you are saying that i am going to be obedient to the word of god and you i want you to understand how vitally important your individual obedience to those commandments are. We we mentioned Achan, but we talked about the wall. Satan is always looking for any crack in the wall to infiltrate the church and the kingdom of God to cause division and a tear down. And I do not want to be the one in my portion of the wall to be his entry point okay and I want you to understand God holds you accountable to the covenant that you made publicly to be obedient to his commandments and to serve the church in his kingdom okay? so Nehemiah says Lord you've made a covenant and you are not unfaithful to be faithful to your covenant right now it has not been pleasant for our people because we chose to rebel we chose to rebel, but Lord, you did exactly what you said we were, you were going to do, but also Lord, remember the rest of your covenant, <laughs> because Lord, I also believe that if we do what you told us to do, I believe you will be perfectly obedient to that portion of the covenant too, you promised us to return to our land, you promised restoration, you promised revival for repentance Lord, you remember your covenant. And Lord, if we do our part, I know you will always do your part because you're always faithful to your word. Okay, so what he says here is, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Notice, he's reminding the Lord in prayer. When I say reminding the Lord, obviously the Lord's perfectly omniscient, right? He doesn't need to be reminded of anything. But boy, it does us a lot of good to be reminded of the truths of God's word and the truths of God's character in prayer, right? By the way, one of the, some of the best prayers you can ever pray is just simply reciting God's word back to Him in prayer. You know, if you don't know what to pray sometimes, thankfully the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us when we don't know what to pray. But sometimes. If you just open up the Psalms and you just pray those Psalms, there will always be a Psalm that can express any type of emotion, either in the positive and the negative. There will always be a Psalm that you can sing, but there will be a Psalm that you can pray unto God that will express your emotions perfectly to the Lord. And That's how the Lord inspired. The, the diversity of the, of the Psalms. So the Lord loves to hear us pray to Him through His Word, right? He loves for us to bring His Word back up to Him in prayer. And obviously God doesn't need to be reminded of His covenant at all, right? But boy, doesn't it do us a lot of good for us to be reminded of god's faithfulness to his god. boy lord you have shown us exactly how committed you are to your word right <laughs> unfortunately the nation of israel had seen in in harsh terms exactly how committed god was to his word and he said lord i know you're committed to to the chastisement but lord i know you're just as committed to your word in rest, in restoration so lord remember your covenant and now, Lord, please just listen to our prayers. Verse 6, Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. Day and night. I want to go back to verse 4. Weeping, mourning, and fasting. Now, he prayed this prayer consistently, I believe, for four months. Now, did he fast for four months? No. No. He had to eat something during four months, but he was consistently fasting, consistently fasting. And the purpose of fasting is that when we are depriving ourselves of natural food and that time period comes when you're used to eating and then, you know, we're called to pray without ceasing, right, but many times we get busy during our day and our thoughts are, our mind is focused on other things. So we forget to pray, right? It's just, I do it all the time. I know you do too. But there are things that are, uh, the, when you get hungry in the midst of fasting, hunger is at the forefront of your mind, right? When you reach that point where you're used to eating and now all of a sudden you're not eating, now all of a sudden the only thing I can think about is my hunger. The purpose of fasting is so that when that thought comes to your mind about how hungry I am, that leads you to pray. Okay? And you want to know the thing about fasting is that hunger's not going to go away. <laughs> now, if you commit to fasting, by the way, there will come a time where you'll, you'll realize that you're not really as hungry as you naturally should be at this point of not consuming food in this period of time. The purpose of fasting, by the way, I know I've, I've had a misunderstanding of it. Not a misunderstanding, a misapplication of this is um, fasting is not the last-ditch effort to make sure I get what I want. And what I mean by that is that, oh, I'm praying for something, oh, I'm praying for something, and now I really feel like I want to get it right now, so let's make sure I fast to seal the deal. Okay? The purpose of fasting is to submit yourself in conformity and make yourself more submissive to the will of God. And I want you to notice how committed he was to consistently fast for four months. For four months. Now, me and Bethany, when we were praying for the Lord to bless us with a child, there were a few months that during the middle of that process that we fasted and prayed for that. And unbeknownst to us, that was during the time period where we biologically weren't able to have children previous to Bethany's surgery because she still had... To block fallopian tubes, so during that time period, unbeknownst to us, biologically there was we weren't going to have a child. But you know what? Even after we that month, we realized that that prayer wasn't going to be answered that month. Something I always told myself is that the Lord will always answer these prayers. Now, the thing about prayer. and and fasting submits you to God's will it it submits you more closely to God's will his good acceptable and perfect will is that following that process I believe that I had a better understanding that God will answer the prayer according to his will and in his time and I knew that that prayer I prayed was going to be answered, even if it was six months later, a year later, five years later. I mean, we, we don't know, right? We don't know the timeline on many things. But the purpose of fasting is not for you to fast for that to be the thing that gets the answer of prayer over the top so I get what I want. No, the purpose of fasting is to submit you more fully to God's will. And, you know, he didn't fast one day. You know, I've def- definitely never committed to, like, this long of a time period of fasting and prayer. But look what powerful results happened when he was burdened to do this, okay? And the degree to which you feel burdened to commit to fasting and prayer, that's that's between you and the Lord and your conscience. But look what powerful things happened, right? I mean, impos- miraculous things happened when he committed to four months of fasting and prayer. But because I, part of the reason why the Lord suffers natural afflictions to come our way and natural afflictions, fasting is a, is a natural affliction that we choose to take up on ourself, right? But the reason why he does this is to conform us and submit us more to his will. Think about Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? The Lord suffered that thorn in the flesh. The Lord, he asked the Lord three times, take it away. But he didn't take it away. Why? Because God suffered that messenger of Satan to conform him more to God's will to where after that suffering, he was able to say, your grace is sufficient and your strength is made perfect in my weakness, right? He had more clarity of that. He had more clarity of submissiveness to God's will even when God's will is uncomfortable in the moment. That's the hard part, isn't it? I mean, everybody loves walking in God's will when, when everything's going great, right? But the challenge is us having such a trust in God, right? Nehemiah is saying, God, you have, you've proven you're trustworthy. You've proven you're trustworthy to be true to your word. And you are worthy to be trusted, your word is worthy to be trusted so I am now submitting to your I don't think necessarily God's able to exceeding abundantly above all we can ask you to think right when when Nehemiah was praying this prayer I do not think that he envisioned in his mind that he was going to be the guy to go back and and lead the effort to rebuild this wall in 52 days right I don't think that crossed his mind right but he was just so burdened and, he, and he's saying, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But I'll tell you, four months of, of, of fasting, at the end of that, he was fully submissive to God's will. Fully submissive. And that's the point of us, uh, again, I've told you this many times, prayer is not our mechanism by which we get what we desire. It's not, we don't ask the Lord for this is what I want and I want your notarizing stamp of approval. Prayer is us drawing closer to the Lord and submitting to His will and then understanding that His will is always best even when we're uncomfortable in the moment. Okay? Now, there came a time, boy, and, and when, when, when God opens doors and God starts providentially moving, things happen fast. Right? (laughs) Things started happening fast. But boy, about three, three and a half months into fasting and praying, I bet it was pretty tough, right? But when things started happening, they started happening fast. But by the end of it, by the end of that four months, the Lord had had His perfect work in Nehemiah. And I believe He was fully submissive. You know, I don't necessarily think, again, I don't think He would look at Himself as. Okay, if I'm going to rebuild a wall, you really need to have a background in architecture, right? You know, uh, I really need to have a position of uh, where I've managed a large-scale building project before. He's a cupbearer. I mean, he drinks wine to make sure there's poison not in it. I mean, like, he doesn't have any skills. Not really. <laughs> he doesn't have any skills to lead a rebuilding of the wall effort. So, therefore, he's not saying, well, you know, maybe I'm going to be the guy that's going to rebuild. No. But by the end of it, after four months of humbly submitting to God's will and fasting, when the Lord called him to do it, he said, "All right, let's do it." Right? Even though I'm inadequate, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how to rebuild a wall, but the Lord's going to do it anyway. Gonna, you know, He's going to help me at each stage, each step of the way. But notice again, notice again, He takes personal responsibility for the for the sins that got him where they're at. It doesn't matter how strong the enemy army was. I mean, and then the, the Babylonians and then later the Romans, the Babylonians, they were a fierce army, right? But they should have known that if God's in the matter, 300 uh, people led by Gideon killed 185,000 Assyrians, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how, many, how, how great the foe is. The Lord's gonna protect that wall. But boy, there ain't, there's no enemy too small to protect yourself if God's not upholding that wall. So he said, Lord, we have sinned. We got uh, ourselves in the state that we're in, and you are so faithful, you did exactly what you said you were going to do. Okay? But he does not blame others. Now, the reason why they were in the state they were in is not because of Nehemiah. Don't miss the fact, okay? Nehemiah had not made a personal mistake that got them in that state. No, it was generations of mistakes of his forefathers. But he said, we have sinned. I have sinned. And because of that, you've been righteous in your judgment. Verse 8, remember I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses. You know God knows his word he knows his word way better than we do but it's good for us in our process of submitting ourselves to God's will in prayer it's good for us to recite God's Word back to him in prayer right and even the things that are difficult notice how he starts you know God loves to hear his word in prayer but notice the part of God's Word you know he didn't skip over the hard part when he starts reciting God's Word to him uh, back to God in prayer, thou commandest uh, thy servant Moses saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. You know, When he's quoting God's word back to him, he didn't skip the uncomfortable part. But he said, also, Lord, don't forget. Don't forget the rest of your covenant. For if ye turn unto me and you keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out under the uttermost part of heaven, yet I will gather them from thence and I will bring them unto the place that I he always promised restoration in that covenant. For confession, for repentance, he always promised restoration. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be t- Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. It talks of fasting in the book of Isaiah. It says, and he's condemning them for doing self-righteous fast, but he says, you're fasting for the wrong reasons, but you need to be fasting that your voice will be heard on high. I mean, it comes up as a really sweet spelling saver when you commit to to voluntary personal affliction of foregoing natural food for a period of time for God to hear your voice on high and for you to be more humbly submitted to God's will. But notice, he's not the only person praying this prayer. I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants. He wasn't the only one praying for this. By the way, if you feel such a strong burden like this in prayer, you should share it with other people, right? We should be praying about these kind of things together because we're all in this together, positive and negative. We're all in this together. Who desire to fear thy name. We honor and we exalt you, Lord. Like we're not, We're not slandering you. <laughs> You've been faithful this whole time. And now we're just asking you to be faithful what's more. We just want you to be faithful for our confession and our repentance. You've been faithful all along. We're just asking you to be faithful now too, which we know you will be because of the character of God. Who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And then... Boy, the Lord does that in a powerful way in the next chapter. But I want to highlight, as we're talking about prayer this morning, I want to highlight Nehemiah chapter 2 and in verse 4, that as the king actually asks him, what's wrong? Why are you burdened? And if you have went four months of fasting, I'm sure it was very noticeable, but all the way up to that point, he'd put on a good face. But now he's finally sad in the presence of the king, and the king says, what are you, what's going on? what request are you making and in the midst of that conversation with arguably uh, a personal conversation with probably the most powerful person on the face of the earth at this time in the back of his head he immediately says lord please help me so i pray to the god of heaven that's what praying without ceasing is praying without ceasing is not uh necessarily um, fasting and praying and being down on our knees 24 7 Instead, praying without ceasing is in the midst of our daily activities, in the midst of our personal conversations. We're just saying, Lord, help me. Lord, bless me. Lord, guide me. And if you do that, the conversation will always turn out better. (laughs) Your speech speech will always be more seasoned with salt. Uh, You you will always have more of a soft answer uh, than a grievous answer that stirs up strife. Now, I want to conclude in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 <clears throat> and Daniel's in Babylonian captivity Okay, and you know what's unique about Daniel you, Daniel prayed this prayer of confession and the Lord visited him in a special way but he never returned he never returned Daniel was taken in that first exile because he was one of those young men that were very intelligent and exceptional so he'd spent uh, except for the first 15 years of his life he'd spent his whole life in Babylonian captivity and he did not have the privilege of returning but even though don't miss this point even though He is not the person that ended up returning, and he's not the person who got to live out the fulfillment of this prayer. The Lord still answered his prayer. Okay? Let's just go ahead and read the whole thing. Okay? Bear with me. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 and in verse 3 and I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes and I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession now I I believe this happened uh, quite a bit before Nehemiah and you'll see not only is it a similar theme but the wording is very similar I think Nehemiah is following most likely the pattern of Daniel's prayer right here as he's praying for four months Well, Daniel set the pattern right he set the pattern of fasting and prayer. And then we find later in the chapter, the Lord uh, set the pattern that he always answers those prayers of affliction and fasting and prayer. So I prayed to the Lord my God and made my confession. O oh Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned. Again, nothing negative is said about that. All Daniel did was great things. But he said, we have sinned. And have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, and even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments, neither have we hearkened unto thy service, the Lord, you told us, you told us time upon time upon time and again to repent, and we didn't listen, we didn't we didn't listen, which spake in thy name to our kings and our princes and our fathers, O Lord righteousness belongeth unto thee. You're righteous in bringing judgment. Why? Because you're you're faithful to your word. But unto us, we deserve confusion of face as it is to this day. To the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel that are near and that are far off and through all the countries wherein thou hast driven them, O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face and to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his law, which he set before us by his servant. Yea, all Israel have transgressed. There's nobody that's excluded from it, even me, Daniel says. Everyone has transgressed your law. Verse 12. He hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil for under the whole heaven hath not been done as it hath been upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Now notice this. Yet have we not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might stand, uh, turn from our iniquities and they're just the stubborn, rebellious child that the dad says, if you do this, you know, quit lying, right? Quit lying. And then you whip them and they still won't admit that they lied, right? I mean, he sends chastisement because he loves them and they still look the Lord in their face and say, we haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> what, what's the remedy for this? Just pray the prayer of repentance, right? Quit being stubborn and rebellious and looking the Lord in the face and saying, we haven't done anything wrong, Verse 16, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from the city Jerusalem and thy holy mountain. Because for our sins and for our iniquities, we earned it. Now therefore, O Lord our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for thy Lord's sake. Oh my God, incline thine ear and hear and open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name for we do not... Now notice this. This is, this is our only merit in prayer. Okay? And this applies in every, every avenue of prayer but especially in prayers of repentance. We do not present our supplication before thee for our righteousness but for thy great mercies. Right? Our only hope... That's why why how do we conclude you should conclude every prayer and it don't don't ever let it become a vain repetition. You should conclude every prayer. We ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Right? We ask these these blessings based on Jesus' righteousness that's imputed us. We're Lord, we fully understand mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. We we earned everything we can. But Lord, the reason why we're asking you to bless us is not because There's any goodness in us, we're asking you to just remember how holy and righteous and merciful you are. Okay? We're not saying we have anything to bring before you. We don't. Lord, we're asking you to answer these prayers because of your righteousness. Now let's just skip to the end here. While I was praying, verse 20, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, don't miss this, the prayer of confession. The sin of my people, Israel, presenting my supplication. While I was speaking, the man, the angel Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision before being uh, caused to fly swiftly, touched me at the time of the evening. And he informed me and, and talked to me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill. Listen, the Lord hears our prayers. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth and I am come to show thee thou art greatly beloved therefore understand the matter and now, and then he gives them the prophecy of the 70 weeks and what's the, what's the beginning of the benchmark of the 70 weeks 70 weeks are determined upon thy people let's skip to 25 know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem right and then he brings it all the way to the Messiah. Daniel's prayer was, Lord, we've sinned. You've been righteous in judging us. Lord, please remember your covenant. Bring us restoration. And the Lord, as he begins praying, he knew his heart. He began the prayer, and the Lord sends the angel Gabriel to minister to him. And we, we know the Lord always answers our prayer. But well, boy, in not it good... If an angel comes and tells you the Lord heard your prayer, right? And then he gives him a prophecy that everything you're praying for, I'm promising you that it's going to be fulfilled because Jerusalem, there will be a decree to go back. And then not only, yes, that's a blessing in and of itself, but then he points him toward the culmination of everything, which is the coming of the Messiah, right? Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced to see my day. He saw him there on Mount Moriah. I think that Daniel saw Jesus Christ's day, as that angel came and gave him that prophecy of the seventy weeks. Now, don't miss the bigger picture. Daniel never returned from captivity, <laughs> right? But his prayer was heard, and the Lord answered that prayer. You know, it may not it may not be us that has the privilege of of. Uh, living out that return and that revival and that restoration. But don't you ever doubt that the Lord hears your prayers, especially the prayers of confession and repentance. And He is always the God of restoration.
0: We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia pbc.org.